What is meant by karma or action is to be understood. Bodhavyam chavikarmanaha. What is vikarma or forbidden action and akarma, what is inaction? One has to understand what they mean. <coughs> Gahana karmanogatihi because it is rather difficult to understand the nature of karma. <coughs> and the question was answered by, or this proposition is answered in the next verse, 18th verse, karmani akarmayaf pashayat. So what is, why is it so difficult to know or to understand karma? For the simple reason that this Brahma, the delusion obtains in life of every human being, where everybody takes for granted the Atma or Self as Karta or doer or performer of an action. Whereas, in fact, the action and the doership of action, both of them belong to Anatma, to non-self, to the body-mind complex. So, sense of doership of Kartritva is in Buddhi. It is the mind, the sense organs, the body, they perform the actions. But what belongs to the buddhi and the sense organs and body, meaning what belongs to anātma and non-self, is thought to be belonging to self. This is called adhyāropa, a superimposition. This is how Vedānta explains our, whatever we feel about ourselves. Because the question that arises is, if the self is limitless by nature, if it is actionless by nature, how come I feel I am limited? How come I feel that I am performing actions? Why is it so? So this, had this problem not been there, there would be no problem in human life at all. If the self is limitless, and if I knew I am limitless, that would have been wonderful. The self is actionless. If I knew I am actionless, wonderful. But then, we take ourselves to be quite contrary to what we truly are. The self is limitless and I take it to be limited. The self is actionless, I take it to be one who is performing action. Self is free from the idea of enjoyership and I take it to be an enjoyer. And there is a reason. Because somewhere the action is there, somewhere the limitations are there, somewhere the enjoyership is there. Not where I think it is, but somewhere it is there. 
it is there in this body or in the mind the limitations are in the body mind body is limited mind is limited intellect is limited ego is limited everything is limited limited in every way limited in time limited in place limited in capacity in attributes all kinds of limitations are there Action also is there because there is chain, the body is subject to chain, the mind is subject to chain, and therefore they are subject, that therefore constantly some activity is going on in the level of body, sense organs, mind, it is their nature. So it is the nature of the body-mind complex to be limited. It is its nature always to change because that's how it is. They are made of matter or prakriti or primordial matter. Made of sattva, rajas and tamas, that's another way of saying. So three gunas, sattva, rajas and tamas, that's what makes the matter, that's what the matter consists of. The gross body, the physical body, is a product of what we call tamas. And organs of action and our pranas are the product of rajas. The organs of perception in the mind are the products of sattva. So sattva, rajas, tamas. These three gunas, in fact, they, these three constituents make up this body-mind-sense complex. And since it is made up of matter, it is inert and therefore it is its nature to change. And it is its nature to be limited. To be born, to undergo change, to perish, that is its nature. There is nothing wrong in it. And by same token, the self is changeless, limitless free from modification, that is nature. So if we knew this, if we knew the self as self, and non-self as non-self, life would have been wonderful. That's about all that is required to be done. There is nothing required to do, I mean, the limitations need not be worried about, I need not try to change the body-mind complex, I need not try to make it free from limitation, because regardless of what I do, it will remain limited anyway. Meaning that, by doing something with my body, or with my mind, or with my sense organs, I can never expect to become limitless or free from limitation. By steadying my body and by preventing it from any movement, I cannot expect that I'll become actionless which is what I'm trying to do. Right now, I'm trying to be limitless by somehow making this body, the mind, intellect as large, as vast, as big as possible and thinking that that's how I'll become limitless. I want to become free from action by somehow controlling the mind, restraining the body. But I can never achieve what I'm seeking through this because it is nature of anātmā, non-self, to be limited. It is nature to change. And therefore, I cannot make it changeless. So, changelessness cannot be that this non-self becomes changeless. Limitlessness cannot be by making this non-self limitless. And so, on account of these notions, throughout my life, what I am trying to do, see, this is to be understood what it is that we are trying to do in our life. It is not what we are doing, it is the intention with which we are doing things. We are pursuing something in our life and what are we pursuing? We are pursuing, as we said, become, becoming totally free from every sense of limitation because I cannot accept any sense of limitation about myself. That also is natural. I just cannot accept a sense of limitation about myself. I find myself limited and I cannot accept the limited I. This is a big thing. Whenever I think of myself, I see myself as a limited being. Limited in time, because I did not exist before a certain time, I know I would not exist after a certain time, I am limited in time. I am at one place at one time, limited in place, limited in capacities. However great I am, however brilliant time, I am still limited. Great scientist I may be, great engineer I may be, great physician I may be, sub-specialist, sub-sub-sub-specialist. But still that sub-sub-sub, that's all, then other things I still would not know. Which is quite alright, but as I say, I cannot stand 
the, the idea that I cannot stand my perception that I am lacking, I am limited, I am inadequate. And therefore the mind is constantly struggling to become free from the sense of lack. And so whatever it does, whether acquiring something or getting rid of something, whatever I am doing in my life, behind that there is only one, this desire, and that is to become free from a sense of inadequacy or sense of limitation. The desire is very genuine. What I desire is very genuine, but the way I am trying to fulfill the desire is not right. And so Vedanta teaches that, hey, somehow you, what you think about yourself is not what you really are, you are not what you take yourself to be, and so you are not limited, you are not, you are not what you take yourself to be. Then how do I perceive myself to be a limited person? Because limitations do exist at the level of body-mind, which are thought to be existing at the level of self. So what is this transferring? What exists here is transferred. In psychology we have got transference. Which is same as Adhyarabha, superimposition. So they say that a person, even though he is fifty years old, because of the deep impressions that are there of the experiences of childhood, Sometimes when a given situation occurs now, that situation triggers something and he goes back to what he was at the age of five because that's how he was treated at that time. And whatever he felt at that age, he feels right now. And he doesn't even know that the way he is responding is responding to a five-year-old child. He doesn't know. So in the fifty-year-old body, there is a five-year-old child at that time. So what happened at a given time is transferred now. Anyway, I mean, why I'm mentioning is because the idea of superimposition is, you know, is, is, is recognized by others also. And therefore what is necessary is simply to know the self as a self and non-self as a non-self. Therefore Lord Krishna said, karmani akarmayafpashet, one who recognizes that the self is actionless, meaning limitless. Actionless, changeless, imperishable, eternal, limitless. And a karmaya, also recognizing that even when this body-mind complex is restrained from every activity, still it is its nature to change. And therefore, change and action and limitations are all at the level of non-self. And in spite of these limitations, I am limitless. The thing is that, in spite of the body being mortal, I am immortal. In spite of the body-mind being limited, I am limitless. In spite of them, not that if some changes happens there, that I will become limitless, that I am. Yahpashet, one who sees this nature of one's own self. Saha, manushyesha buddhiman, he is the one who is wise among the human beings. So. Mandukopani that says there are two kinds of knowledge. One is called aparavidya, the lower or inferior knowledge, other is called paravidya, the higher or superior knowledge. One is the knowledge of the non-self, other is the knowledge of the self. So regardless of how much I know about non-self, how much I know about physical things, physical sciences, how much I know about the physical world, even about the body, about the mind, about everything. And still, as long as I do not know the true nature of self, that knowledge is incomplete. Therefore, one who has paravidya, one who has a knowledge of the self, he is a real wise person. Sayukta, <coughs> he is a yogi. Sakrasna Karmakrat, he has gained, he is the fulfillment in his life. <coughs> he has done what needs to be done. He has known what needs to be known. So Vedanta says that, the way to know everything is by knowing the self. So if one wants to know everything. The mind, the intellect is a tremendous curiosity, wants to know everything. What is happening in the United States, in Australia, in Iraq, in this, everywhere, what, is, what happened? What happened in this fellow's house? What, everything it wants to know, poor thing. Vedanta says, the way to know everything is to know the self. By knowing the self, you as well know everything. To achieve, the way to achieve everything is achieving the self. 
by achieving the self, you as well achieve everything. <coughs> Therefore, Krishna Karmakrat, he is the one who has done whatever needs to be done in life. Now, this vision, this wise person, is described in next six verses. So, one who has this knowledge, one who has this wisdom, how does he conduct himself or herself in the world? This is Lord Krishna's style in Bhagavad Gita. That Lord Krishna describes what the nature of wisdom is. And it also describes how this wisdom in fact becomes expressed in one's life. Because wisdom we cannot perceive. But we can perceive the person, the wise person, functioning and responding to situations in the day-to-day life. And that is of interest to us. Because then we can also imitate him. We can also imitate him. We can also try to imbibe all the, the attributes that are the traits that he has. So what is spontaneous or effortless for the wise person becomes a sadhanam or a means to be practiced for a seeker. What is spontaneous for the wise person, what is his natural trait, is something to be practiced by a seeker. So that someday he can also become wise. So he is like a role model, like a person, like a boy who wants to become a big cricketer, a big athlete. He has his hero, his role model. In his room there are 15 big posters showing different poses and every day he practices also. He tries to hold the bat in the same way, he tries to run in the same way. And so also for the seekers of knowledge. Lord Krishna gives in different places in Bhagavad Gita a beautiful pictures of the wise person from different standpoints. In the second chapter, a beautiful picture was given from a standpoint of wisdom called Sthita Pragna, one who abides, one who has an abiding wisdom, abiding knowledge. Here also same person is described but from the standpoint of karma. So how does he act? That's what is described in the next six verses. <clears throat> we read the 19th verse. Yasya sarve samarambha Kama sankalpa varjita Jnana Agni Dagdha Karmanam Tamahuf Panditam Buddha Yes, you survey Samarambaha Samarambaha, all undertakings One whose all undertakings are Kama Sankalva Varjitaha Varjitaha, free from Kama, the desire, Sankalpa, the will. So one, all whose undertakings, all, all whose actions are devoid of desire and will. So why is it said this way? Because if we analyze our actions, we'll find that generally an action is performed to fulfill a certain desire. So distinguishing how a wise person acts by comparing or, or describing in, in familiar terms of how an ignorant person acts. So we know how, a, how we act. What is the motivating, what is the motivation behind performance of an action usually? The motivation is that I seek to fulfill a certain desire through performance of an action. Because there is some desirable end that I want to reach, there is some desirable thing that I want to achieve. Therefore, generally, 
it is the desire that prompts the person. It is the desire that is the motivating, motivating factor behind an action of an ordinary person. Why is the desire? What does the desire show? Desire shows a certain lack in me. Naturally, one cannot desire what one already has. I cannot desire what I already have. I can desire only what I do not have. And therefore, a desire is an indication that I do not have something, meaning that I am feeling a lack or want because of something, and therefore, I want to become free from that lack or want by fulfilling the desire. So, desire indicates a lack or a want in a person. Which again comes from my perception that I am a lacking being, I am a wanting person, I am a lacking person. I am inadequate person, I am incomplete person, I am a limited person. So basically, what is the source of all the desires, understand, is my perception of myself. I have this perception of myself that I am inadequate. I feel that I am mortal, subject to death, therefore there arises a desire to somehow prolong my life as much as I can. I feel that I am ignorant, therefore there is an attempt on my part to acquire as much information as I can. I think that I am incomplete, therefore I am trying to become complete. So desire usually is to become happier than what I am to become more secure than what I am, to be bigger than what I am, to be better than what I am. That's what the desire is for. Whether by fulfilling the desire, whether I become bigger or better or happier is a different matter. But anyway, the desire always is to become happier than what I am, to become more safe, safer or more secure than what I am more comfortable than what I am, more complete than what I am, more free than what I am, to be better than what I am, because I am not good enough as I am. Basically, I am not good enough as I am, in my own perception. I am not satisfied with the way I am endeavor. Some change is needed in me, in order that as a result of that, I'll think that I will have, I will be satisfied or happy with myself. So all the desires have their source in my not feeling happy with myself. Because of my perception that I am inadequate or I am, I am limited. So that's the original sankalpa. Sankalpa means this particular thought. This particular conclusion, the conclusion or what you call opinion or the notion or the judgment that I'm incomplete, I'm inadequate. That is the source of desire. Because through fulfillment of desire, I always am attempting to become free from some inadequacy, some incompleteness. And that desire then prompts me to perform the action. Because I cannot live with desire for a long time. Desire is like a bug, like, like a bug entering my ear and I cannot live with that because it makes me restless. And so also, when a desire arises in my mind, I become restless and therefore, somehow I have to fulfill it, to get rid of it. Like a little child which keeps on nagging. Once it wants something, then if you don't fulfill that need, it keeps on nagging you. Mom, may I have a candy? No. Shut up, stop it. May I have candy after five minutes? I told you no. And after ten minutes, may I have candy? Keep, how long will you say no? And particularly when your friend has come in, then he says, may I have candy, ma'am? Then you know, it's very embarrassing not to say no, all right, have it. So somehow it will create condition to fulfill its desire. And so also the mind is like that. Somehow or the other, it will fulfill its desire. If right now I don't respond to it, again it will arise tomorrow. 
Once a desire for car has arisen, you know, because it's, I'm dragging my feet all every day, I'm traveling in the bus, hour, hour and a half commuting. So far away it is. It takes three hours both ways. If I had a motor car of my own, just twenty minutes going and twenty minutes coming, I can save such a lot of time. So comfortable. And so I wish to have a car. Then I says, no, no, where is the car? It's very expensive. You have to get loan and do all kinds of things. I keep, you know, quieten my mind. Next again I am standing at the bus stop waiting for the bus. One bus comes and doesn't take me, second bus comes and does not take me, I'm frustrated. And my friend goes in the car doing this to me. You know? <laughs> He's going in a different direction, they can't give me a ride. You know? But anyway, he has a car and I don't have. So again the mind says, hey, I want car. This is how someday it will make me buy the car, by hook or crook. So this is all actions therefore of an ignorant person are prompted by desires and the desires in turn are a product of my sense of inadequacy or incompleteness about myself because I perceive myself as an inadequate or incomplete being. So kama and sankalpa. Kama is the desire, sankalpa is this notion or this conclusion about myself. <clears throat> now the wise person also is performing action. As, as I also do. So, he seems to be performing, this, doing the same kind of thing that other people do. Not that a wise person does some different kinds of thing. He also has hands and legs and speech and also he does same thing, similar things. So, as far as the kind of action is concerned, it may not be much different. But what is difference? Different is, what is, what motivates him to do things? Lord Krishna says, Yes, sarve sama, sarve samaramba, all his actions. Kama sankalva varjitaha. There is no desire behind his action, meaning that there is no personal agenda. By desire we mean a personal agenda. There is no personal agenda. He has nothing to accomplish personally through a performance of an action. How come he does not have a desire for any personal achievement because he doesn't have sankalpa? He does not have this notion that I am an inadequate person. Having known, now having understood the true nature of himself, having recognized the fact that I am what I am seeking to be. This is how the wise person realizes. All the time I was trying to become limitless, I realized that a limitlessness has been my nature all along. If the tenth man recognizes, and the tenth man, so also the wise person sees this fact that the happiness which I was seeking is my own self. That being the case, there is no need to become different from what is because there is a total acceptance of himself. So this is what the wisdom does. The wisdom of the knowledge brings about a total acceptance of myself. A total comfort with myself. Because normally I suffer from a sense of non-acceptance of my own self. He is content with himself. Atmaneva, Atmana Tushtaha. Totally satisfied or contented with himself because contentment is the nature of the self. And therefore, he is no sankalpa that I must achieve this, I must do that. No such sankalpa or no such resolve is there. That I want to be better than what I am, I want to be bigger than what I am, I want to prove myself to the world, whatever. No such sankalpas or no such wishes are there. And there were no specific desires for becoming better, becoming happier, becoming more secure. No such desire is there. Then why does he do anything? Well, what happens is that even a wise person also is alive because of his prarabdha or because of his, his destiny. Because wisdom is not opposed to this body. Wisdom is not opposed to living this life. And so, after wisdom also, he continues to live because this body is born with its own agenda, which is what we call destiny. And only when that agenda will be over, then the body will drop off.
Until then, he is alive, and therefore he is functioning. Sarve samarambaha kama sankal varjitaha. But then, there is no, there's no binding factor behind the action. So an action becomes binding whenever an action is performed with a purpose of a personal agenda. In this case, there is no personal agenda and therefore his action is not a binding action. So Lord Krishna wants to teach Arjuna. Understand that just because you perform an action doesn't mean that the action will bind you. It is not action that binds you, it is what is the motivating factor behind the action that binds you. It is a desire that binds you. What kind of desire? Desire meaning a personal agenda. Desire to be happier and become bigger than watcher. That's what binds you. Because that has arisen again from your false perception of yourself. Arjuna thinks that it is karma or action that binds. Therefore he wants to give up the action. Lord Krishna is teaching all along. It is not the action that binds. It is not result of action that binds. It is nothing that binds, nothing outside in the world that binds you. Not even your body, nothing binds you. It is merely your wrong notion or wrong perception that binds you. So what makes an action a binding action is when the action is performed with a desire or a personal agenda. So that is when the result is judged either successful or failure. If there is an agenda, suppose I perform an action with no personal agenda. Understand that performing an action with a purpose is one thing and performing an action with a personal agenda is a different thing. Well, Lord Krishna says that become free from attachment to the results of the action. It means that have no personal agenda with reference to the action. Perform an action because you should do it. Perform an action because it is a duty to do. That's all. So if you have no agenda, then how can I perform action? Because it's a duty. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to do things. So do that. Not because doing this will bring me some, some personal gain. Just do it because it's a privilege to do. Lord Krishna says, enjoy what you're doing. Perform an action as an offering, as a worship. Perform an action as your own contribution. And don't be, don't ask anything as a reward. But human mind is always utilitarian. It always wants to seek a benefit for whatever it does. It doesn't do anything free. In my mind there are all calculation. A little thing also I do. In my mind there are all calculation. What am I going to get? What is in it for me? That calculation is always there. Even though it may not be expressed, it out, people out in the out world out there may not recognize it. It's always there. Some some personal reward, some personal agenda is always there. As long as the person is ignorant. Lord Krishna says that don't do that. Perform an action for the sake of action. Because it is your duty. Because it is your privilege. Because it is your place to do. Wise person has no such duty also. He just does because he is spontaneously in tune with the order. So whatever the order does, they expresses himself, itself through him, that's what he winds up doing. So wise person actually becomes an instrument in the hand of the, of what you call infinite wisdom, in the hand of God. And so whatever Ishwara or infinite wisdom makes him do, that's what he does. He doesn't have a personal sankalpa. So sankalpa of Ishwara becomes his sankalpa. He becomes a very fit instrument in the hand of Ishwara. Therefore, Ishwara can fulfill his scheme through this person. Because he offers no resistance. An ordinary person offers resistance by by bringing in his own personal agenda, which may not generally coincide with Ishwara's agenda. See, Ishwara is a certain agenda also. What is Ishwara's agenda? What will be Ishwara's agenda? Ishwara, Lord Krishna says, I am the father and mother and grandfather of this whole universe, which means that all these living beings are my children. So what will be his agenda as a father? He would want, naturally, the well-being of all his children, and not only a few children, 
That is his agenda. What is my agenda? Well-being of myself. That's all. Of this upadhi. That's my agenda. That's the reason why I always throw a, a little monkey wrench in Ishwara scheme wherever I because of my selfishness. That is why human being creates so much chaos everywhere. But the wise person has no agenda left of his own. Therefore, Ishwara's agenda becomes his agenda. And therefore, whatever he does, becomes spontaneously a means of well-being for all. Because he does not seek any well-being or any reward for himself. So wise person also acts. He also does things. Not because he has to accomplish something, because Ishwara functions through him. Ishwara functions through us also. But in between we, you know, we do not allow his desire to flow through us. We put some obstacles by way of my ego and my hankara and mamakara and mine and I, etc. The wise person doesn't do that. That's all. Like a flute allows Lord Krishna to to uh, release whatever kind of music he wants to play. Flute offers no resistance. An instrument offers no musical instrument, offers no resistance to the musician. And so the musician can play whatever music he wants to play. And so also, wise person simply becomes an instrument in the hand of the Lord and allows the Lord to play his music through him. Because he has no personal desire, he has no personal agenda. Why is it so? Jnana Gridagtha Karmanam. Second line says, because his karma or the sense of doership is dagdha, is burnt because of jnana because of the fire of knowledge. In fire of knowledge, his sense of limitation or sense of individuality is destroyed. Because individuality is as it is a false notion. And just as in the, in the knowledge of a rope, the snake which is a projection goes away, so also, in the wake of knowledge of itself, his notions that I'm a doer, I'm an enjoyer, they all disappear. But Swami, if he has no notion of a doership at all, how can he function? Some kind of notion, some kind of notion he does have. Like an actor has a no, like an actor deliberately imposes upon himself the notion of a beggar. That's when he can do the begging you know, on, the, on the stage. So also, wise person is what we call a working ego. Not a binding ego, but a working ego. Just as an actor has a working ego, like I'm a beggar. Therefore, he, you know, he sort of imposes the idea of a beggar upon himself and acts as a beggar would. And so also, a wise person has a working ego which allows him to function as an individual in this world. From his standpoint, there is no individuality. Like, from the standpoint of the actor, he is not a beggar. But for the onlookers, he is a beggar. And so also, from his standpoint, the wise person doesn't have the sense of individuality. But then, from the standpoint of onlookers, looks like he is functioning as an individual. Jnanangi dhanta karmanam, one whose sense of doership is Burnt meaning, in Vedantic language say, it is bhaditam, it is negated, falsified. Because ego is false and therefore, in the wake of knowledge, whose ego has been falsified, tamahuhu panditam buddhaha, buddhaha, the wise people call him the wise. And so, says the, the sages call that person wise, buddhaha. Because only sages can recognize the wisdom. Other people cannot recognize, therefore they call him wise. So this certificate should come from the right place. As Swami used to say in the olden days, you know, so and so is called Maharshi. Who calls him Maharshi? Maharshi means a great Rishi, great sage. Who gave him the title? He says his driver gave him the title, you know. So, so where the title comes from also is important. Here the title comes from the sages, and because I mean, those who have the right perception, they see that this is a wise person. So, he is called Pandita. 
Pandita means a wise person. So Lord Krishna uses the word Pandita in Bhagavad Gita in several places to mean a wise person. Pandam Itaha Panditaha. One who has come to or attained Panda. Panda means wisdom. Wisdom pertaining to self. So one who has self-knowledge is called Pandita. Although the word Pandita also is used for any learned person. A person who is learned in grammar, learning any other any discipline of knowledge also is called Pandita. But here is a real Pandita because Panda means the Brahmagnanam knowledge of Brahman. So he is, he is Pandita in the right sense, in the proper sense. The, in the second chapter also, Lord Krishna used the word Pandita. Gatasun agatasumsya nanushochandi pandita. The panditas are wise are those who do not grieve for those who have left and those who have not left. Those who are defiled, those who are not defiled, they do not grieve, meaning that no event causes grief in them. In the fifth chapter also, again, Lord Krishna uses the word pandita in different contexts, but describing a wise person. Panditaha samadarshinaha. Wise people are those who see the same self in all the beings. <coughs> this very same verse again is expanded in subsequent verses. So let us read the verse 28. Jaktva karma phala sangam. Nitya Trupto Nirashrayaha Karmanya Bhipravruttopi Naiva Kinchit Karoti Saha Tektva Karma Falasangam Tektva having given up Asangam, deep attachment to karma, action, and phala, the result of the action. So having given up any attachment to the action and the results. Again, describing the wise person from the standpoint of an an ignorant person. Because an ignorant person or ordinary person, when he performs action, he has attachment towards the results. Meaning that he wants only certain results from his action. He wants success, he does not want failure. When you perform an action, when result becomes important for my feeling good about myself, when I perform an action, when the result of an action becomes important for my feeling good about myself, then I would say that is the attachment of the results. So I am participating in the race, 400 meters, it's fine. But if the result is important, that I should be number one, or at least in the first three, then alone I can be happy, otherwise I cannot be. Then that is called the attachment to the result of action, because the my happiness or otherwise is dependent upon the result. And therefore, result becomes very important to me. The result or outcome must be such and such because then only I can be happy, otherwise I cannot be happy. If I cannot secure the first string in the examination, I cannot be happy. Merely passing examination is not enough. There was a time when I used to have 30th rank in the class. Then slowly rank was 20th, then 10th, then 5th, then 2nd. So the family people will say, oh, 2nd, why not 1st rank? You work hard, get 1st rank. Then it's expected that you always secure 1st rank, you know. Then it becomes, an, it almost becomes an expectation that, oh, you did, this time you didn't get 1st rank, 2nd rank. So you, you are made to feel as though you failed, you know. Second rank also is a good thing, but still. And so now whenever I appear for an exam, what is important is not only that I pass, I must have first rank. If I don't, I feel miserable. 
The fellow who gets 35th rank, he is happy when he gets 34th rank. He is not miserable. The fellow who gets 1st rank becomes miserable when he gets 2nd rank. Because of an expectation of what the result should be. And why that expectation? Because my sense of well-being, my sense of success, my sense of satisfaction with me, depends upon what the result is. I judge myself based on the result. This is called attachment to the result. It is not that I perform an action without consideration of a result. Because nobody can perform an action without a certain plan, without a certain purpose. There, has, there is and there should be a purpose behind performing an action. No, Swamiji, I'm just taking a Where are you going? Nowhere. Just loitering. Just taking a walk. No. Still, there is a purpose there also. You are just to relax. Because going someplace is just too much stress. I'm just walking, that's all. But there is. Some purpose is there. So, purpose must be there behind an action. Because usually people think that perform action without attachment to result. Or don't expect result while performing action. That is the usual understanding of Karma Yoga, which is impossible because nobody can perform an action without some end in mind. When I'm shooting an arrow, there is some target that I want to shoot. And that is, that's how it should be. And that's what makes me work hard for, for, you know, for achieving a certain purpose. The only, what is meant by not attachment to the, the result of action is that I can feel equally comfortable whether the arrow shoots the target or does not shoot the target. If my comfort or my sense of well-being or my sense of success does not depend upon whether the arrow hits the target or not, then I would say that I am detached from the result. Swami, that means you just throw the arrow. No, I don't throw the arrow anyway. I am committed to shooting the target. At the same time, I do not condemn myself if the target is not hit. Nor do I congratulate myself when the target is hit. Because I give to Ishvara the authorship of creating the result. And therefore, if the arrow hits the target, thank you God. You did it. It's your grace. I don't take the ownership. Once I take ownership, then only I can feel success or failure. If arrow does not hit the target, thank you Lord. Well, that's what you wish. Well, I also accept it. I accept your wish. Meaning that merging our wish into the wish of Ishwara. This is called surrender. This is called surrender. This is called devotion. This is called accepting Ishwara in our life. That I, I desire that my arrow should hit the target. But Ishwara has desired something else. It should not hit the target. Alright. I don't insist that my desire, my will be done. Your will be done. So that is called bhakti, called surrender, that is called accepting Ishwara, that is called merging my will into the will of Ishwara. So this is how a devotee slowly and slowly identifies with Ishwara. This requires me to give up my identification with ego. Because if I am identified with ego, ego will feel bad because I did not achieve the result. Or ego will feel elated because I was successful. So when I feel successful or when I feel failure, that means that I am assuming the ownership of the outcome. Lord Krishna says, you are not the owner of the results. Ma karma phalahetur huhu. Karma nevadikaraste ma phaleshukadasana ma karma phalahetur huhu. Do not become the author of karma phala. Do not become the author of the results. Karmanyavadikaraste remain the author of the action. Do not become the author of the result. Meaning that take the responsibility for action. 
do not spare any effort as far as performance of action is concerned. Because that also is a problem. Swamiji, I, if, if I don't care for result, then what does it matter what I do? I'll do what? No. Lord Krishna says that you must take the responsibility for action and perform the action to the best of your capacity. Mukta Sangaha Samachara Samyak Achara Perform your action well. Remaining detached from the result. So understand Karma Yoga there are two aspects. One aspect is while performing action I am committed to do the best that I can. Because I look upon action as my contribution then I want to offer the best to Lord. Even in our day-to-day puja also what we offer to Lord as Nevedya or whatever you offer to Lord is usually the best. When you offer garments, when you offer garlands, when you offer ornaments, whatever you offer. Usually a person offers the best to the Lord. And so also my karma, my action is my offering to Him. That very should be best. Which means that I must put the best of the efforts. And I must put my soul, you know, into the action that I perform. That is my commitment. That is called being the, being responsible for performing action. As far as outcome is concerned, I give the authorship to the Lord. Whatever outcome he gives is acceptable to me. Because my satisfaction comes from my effort rather than from the outcome of the effort. A karma yogi seeks satisfaction from what he does rather than what he gets. Satisfaction of what I offer, not what I got back. So this is how it complete transformation in our mindset. This process brings about a slow but sudden change or transformation mindset. That hard wiring. What is hard wiring? What is in it for me? That has to change and then what can I do with this? How can I make my action the best offering? And what did I get out of that? Is immaterial. So here, of course, for wise men, this is spontaneous. Tektva, karma phala, sangam. He has no identification even with action. He doesn't even think that I am performing action. This karma yogi has that much, understand? Karma yogi has this identification that I am performing action. The wise person doesn't even have that. He knows that action is being performed in my presence. He has no identification, there is no sense of doership, nor does he have any demand that because I did something that I must be rewarded. No such demand. For a karma yogi, performing action itself is a reward. Now imagine, suppose we act function like this, that whatever I do itself is a reward. Then what the consequences are, I mean what the result is of no consequence. And the outcome is always in future, outcome is uncertain. Whereas what I do is certain because I can control that. So if what I do becomes source of my happiness, then I can control my happiness. If what the outcome is the source of my happiness, then I can never know whether I'll be happy or not, whether outcome will be what I want. Lord Krishna says, why worry about Because result is uncertain. Karma is certain. So let your satisfaction come from what you do. And gracefully accept the outcome as a, as a gift of God. God gave me serenity to accept gracefully what I cannot change, the karma what I cannot change, and therefore accept it gracefully as prasad of the Lord. Meaning accept it gracefully means accept it with a sense of blessing, being blessed. Chattva karma sangam How come the wise person has no, he doesn't make any demands at all. See, when we perform an action, we make a demand that the world is obliged to give me reward because I did this. He doesn't. Why is it so? Because nitya He is always content. Nitya Always contented. Because he knows the self 
as a nature of contentment. Never, he's contented himself. So the Nitya Trupta, always contented. See, Trupta means contented. Nitya Trupta, always contented. How can a person be always contented? Only if his contentment does not depend upon anything other than himself. If my contentment depends upon what I get, then there is no certainty whether I'll be contented or not. But if my contentment depends upon myself, I am of the nature of contentment. Atmaneva atmana tushtaha. One who is satisfied with himself by himself. So he is always content with himself. Swami is it a make-believe thing? It's not a make-believe thing. Because self is of the nature of happiness. Self is of the nature of full, fullness. Therefore, he, is, he knows I am full, I am complete. And therefore, nitya Meaning that he does not require anything other than himself to be happy. Always happy with himself. And when a person is happy with himself, he is happy with everybody else. When he is at home with himself, at home, then he is at home everywhere. The reason why we don't feel comfortable in many places is because we are not comfortable with ourselves. In some places, with some people, under some conditions, I'm not comfortable. I avoid. Avoid going to places, avoid meeting some people, avoid various things. Because I am not comfortable with myself under those conditions. Nitya Trupta, one is always comfortable with himself. And therefore, he is comfortable everywhere. When one who is, who is at home with himself, is at home everywhere. So our Swamiji, when he started his talks in Chennai this year, talking about Vedanta and psychotherapy, some new topic. So describing the ordinary person, poor fellow, you know, all the time fearful, under stress, not at home, uncomfortable. How can you live your life like that? So we'll tell you, I'll, we'll teach you, we'll tell you how Vedanta teaches you how to live the life without this kind of things. But Vedanta teaches that you should know yourself. Then you'll find that you are what you want to be and therefore you're happy with yourself. Nitya Trupta, always contented because he contentment is nature. Nirashreya, therefore not ashrita or depend upon anything. When I am not contented, then I become dependent upon something to make me feel contented. When I am not happy, then I need something to make me happy. So an ordinary person always looks at the world and various means to make him happy. Nirashaya, this person does not depend upon anything for his happiness. Because happiness is his own nature. Nitya Trupta, that is the reason why. Because he is Nitya Trupta. Because he is totally content or happy with himself, therefore he has no attachment to karma phala, he doesn't seek any reward. Nirashya, because he is independent of anything, therefore he has no sense of agency also. Karmani abhipravruttopi nevakin chitkarodisaha, a person like that, even though he is fully engaged in action. Saha nevakin chitkarodi, in fact he does not do anything. Lord Krishna says that a wise person, even though fully engaged in activity, that is, from the standpoint of onlookers, from his own standpoint, Nevakinchit Karodi, he does not do anything at all. From his standpoint, he knows, I do not do anything. Who I, I am just a presence. In presence of I, everything gets done. This is amplified in the fifth chapter, where a wise person says, Nevakinchit Karodi, I don't do anything. By seeing, hearing, talking, eating, drinking, he says, I don't do anything. It is sense organs which interact with the sense objects. And I am just merely the witness of everything. <coughs> so, karmani abhipravruttopi nevakinchit karodisa. So, these verses and subsequent four verses also describe how the wise person functions. What is his mindset? Basically, Lord Krishna describes his mindset. And why they describe so that we can also try to create that mindset in ourselves. So now, while performing an action, we can ask our mind. Mind, what do you, so whether the mind 
is performing an action with some expectation or not? Is it seeking some personal reward? At least we can become familiar with the trends of the mind. Before doing anything, first thing is to understand our own mind. And see where a, a built-in desire, a built-in uh, demand for a reward is there. So we should become first familiar with that. And then slowly change the trend of the mind. While performing action also, uh, we should also make the mind see that the action is performed in the best way. Then you enjoy the action. Enjoy whatever you have to do. Recognize the great privilege to do something. Because you have, a human being is the only one who has the privilege of performing deliberate actions. The rest of the creation is all doing, working instinctively. They don't have the freedom. So you have the freedom, therefore enjoy it. Enjoy the act of performing action. O mind, do not all the time worry about what the outcome will be. Do the best that you can. And the rest will take care of itself. A, a, a good action can never go unrewarded. That also you can be sure. Even if you do not get the reward right away, someday it will come. Because the cause and effect law is there, therefore it has to work out. So a, a devotee will say, I, I did something and, and, and Ishwara decided that the result should not be what I want. Okay, maybe I do, I, in fact it's no good for me. Sometimes what we desire may not be good for us, therefore it's not given to us. When you go to an Ayurvedic physician, you know, he always gives a bitter medicine. And you take it because you recognize that that is for your good health, for your well-being. And so also sometimes Ishwara gives you bitter medicine also. Must be, must be good for me because of this trust. And so devotee accepts everything. Thus, we become familiar with the workings of our minds. And Lord Krishna teaches what we should do by describing what is spontaneous for the wise person. In effect, Lord Krishna is saying what we should do, what kind of effort should we make to bring our mind also, <clears throat> also in alignment with what a wise person does. So that is a way of becoming wise. That's the way of becoming happy. Understand, becoming wise means becoming happy. This is the only way of truly becoming happy. Because what we are progressively doing is we are progressively removing the inhibiting factors, factors that inhibit our happiness. As I said, if limitless is my nature, how come I don't feel limitless? Because of this, this habits of the mind. Because the mind is always looking out there for happiness. It is that extrovertedness which actually deprives me of the nature of myself. And therefore, this deliberate transformation in the function of the mind. So that slowly and slowly removes the inhibiting factors and we slowly own up the happiness which is our own nature. It is not that it will happen someday. To the extent that we have made some change, the result is, the reward is immediate. To the extent that some selfishness is given up, some demand is given up, right away you will find satisfaction. As we say, perform any good action of helping somebody without an expectation of a reward. And you may perhaps have to take some trouble to do that. As a result, you feel very good about yourself. <clears throat> it is our experience that we always feel good about ourselves whenever we do a good action, a reaching out action. So therefore, this process makes me feel good about myself every step. Therefore, moksha will happen someday. But every step we keep on becoming free. And therefore, this freedom becomes a process which culminates into a total freedom. So this is an advantage. It's not that whole life I work hard and after death I'll become moksha or something. No. We keep on becoming free. We keep on discovering the inner contentment every step. So, that's the advantage of this, this process of bringing about a transformation of ourselves based on this teaching of Vedanta. <coughs> okay. Om Purnamadha 
पूर्णमिदं पूर्णमुगच्यते पूर्णस्य पूर्णमादाय पूर्णमेवशिष्य शंकराचार्य केशव बादरायण सूत्रभाष्यकृत वंदे भगवतौनपुनश्वरो गुरुरात्मेदे मूर्तिद विभागिने व्योमद्याहाय दक्षिणामूर्त नम ओ शाति 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 हरि ओ श्री गुरुभ्यो 